to be a country western singer. Welcome to this episode of LaFire. I'm Mark Goldsmith. And I'm AJ Henderson. And today we have Catherine Leginger. I really enjoy, especially listening to the album that you created. We're going to talk about the process that you actually created it, which is interesting in itself, and also a little bit about you. And of course, gentleman with the guitar right here. Hello. You might know him. You might recognize his voice. That is none other than Brian Broussard Hola. from a previous episode here. And so thank you both for joining us here at thank LaFire. You. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. I'm going to start this uh, out with a review of your debut record called Old Soul, which is out now in Austin stores. And this review, I had to get translated from oh. Sweden, <laughs> from Swedish to English. And it goes like so. Sometimes violates someone through the clutter that in a way difficult to explain just hits just right in both tone timing. Texas girl Catherine Legender, old souls, nothing but straight, warm, and lovely country as one that should be. Classic honk-tonk music in modern style that you do not hear so much on the radio. Barely even in the U.S., but I am confident you will find even more fans in 2014. And honestly, that couldn't be more true. Your record on um, blog whose name we'll insert later, because uh, name escapes me. Roots and Boots. Roots and Boots. Yeah. So easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Roots and Boots. Named you the number four uh, country and Western record in Sweden, at least. Um, and that's, uh, that's out of a populace, out of like, uh, like some big names there too. And you somehow managed to find your way on that list. I'm just glad that, that he likes it and he's at least sharing it with people. You describe your music as kind of, um, new country in a traditional sense. Yeah. How, how do you like, uh, how do you take new ideas and kind of root them in tradition? And just like kind of keep like, you know, that, that classic sound, but also with like new ideas. I think for me, uh, I have such a huge love for classic country. It just there's nostalgia behind it. There's just respect behind it and, and just a love for that sound. And so many artists who made that sound um, popular and what we um, build off of today. And so I think I really love the sound and I kind of bring that into my arrangements of songs. But um, as far as lyrics go, it's kind of hard to write songs like they used to back then, just times are different. There are different um, world issues or problems that people face or just things that they go through. And I think that's kind of what brings a new a newness to it is that I'm taking 2014 things that I'm going through or experiencing and uh, coupling it with a very traditional sounding song arrangement. And I like it. <laughs> it's fun. And um, what topics in particular are you trying to talk about in Old Soul and just get across? Are they- um, There have been some personal ones. Um, and then probably one of my most I don't know if other people feel this way, but I kind of feel like maybe my controversial one is Roy Rogers because the country music genre is a bit under fire these days. You know, there's, um, 
There are people who probably mindlessly listen to that stuff. And then there are also um, a growing number of people who are, are very much against what they hear on the radio because they don't, I don't think anyone really relates to it like they used, like they used to with country music. And so Roy Rogers is kind of about kind of those fake people, right. um, especially within the country music genre. But it kind of is just an, a general theme of, you know, if you're not a genuine person, no matter who you are, what you're doing, what you're saying, then people will pick up on that. And it's, Absolutely. yeah. I have cable at my house, so I'm constantly like watching like music channels. And so it's just like uh, when you, when you are fortunate enough to find a block of music videos, it's always just by uh, just like a kind of guy that represents the idea, but just says like a bunch of stuff about like maybe drinking a lot and partying till you throw up. And those aren't really like ideas While that sitting like, in a tailgate. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> and you, yeah. And you kind of just like, and then, Somebody says that's country, yeah, and then people start thinking that that's country. But you know, it's just like there are artists out there, such as yourself, that say like, yeah, I mean, drinking's part of it, you know. But you know, it's there's a reason that I drink, and there's right. a reason that I cried from it, and it wasn't just because uh, I was living a young person's lifestyle. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I once saw this commercial. They had this uh, for this show called Redneck Island. Oh, eesh. Right. That's an entire <laughs> island full of rednecks, and they just kind of drink and get mad at each other. Like from what, and then sometimes they like do physical challenges. <laughs> that <laughs> involves I, drinking, right? Right. If I understood the premise correctly, was, um, and you know, like they enjoy monster trucks, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Really generalizing a group of people. Yeah, it's yeah. not good. And <laughs> that's not good. That's not good at all. <laughs> Well, because why does that represent country music? Like, what makes that more valid a point of view and then your heart on the line because someone in your life either broke it or, you know, is no longer with you or something that's very human, emotional, and personal and something that's easily relatable. And now it's just about partying and drinking. It's more entertaining. I mean, I, and it's as sad as it is, I get it. I get why people are pushing that and, you know, especially why young people are picking up on that. I mean, you could go probably to any college dorm and the fact that they're focused on like partying, they're going to listen to this kind of music because it pumps them up. And Red solo cut. Yeah. And <laughs> I, that, I think, I think for most people, at least I hope that most people kind of grow out of that. But I don't know. I think probably one of the reasons is that kind of lifestyle is more entertaining than an honest, self-reflective or maybe sometimes depressing kind of outlook. Because, I mean, for a long time, country was, everyone kind of knew it as drinking and cheating songs, which are great. I love them. Um, but uh, I think that they've kind of left us a little bit. They maybe exploited it a little bit. You know, <clears throat> maybe. That's what I'm thinking. You know, I, I feel like they kind of just feed like CMT and like main like country radio. They they kind of just feed these artists out that and people eat it right up. You know, it's the same same song. It's the same face. It's the same like, you know, country rocker on, on TV trying to like write or sing these these country songs that, that aren't country songs. But people now believe that's what country sounds like. And. Because it has a fiddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, they throw a fiddle behind some distorted guitars, and that's country music. And yeah. I don't, I don't think that's what it is. It, that's what people perceive it nowadays. The people that don't want to dig just a little bit further to find, like, you know, 
like Catherine's record or, or some records going out that that don't get the recognition. There's so many records that kind of just go unnoticed but because there's those artists out there that no, I'm not hating on CMT or main radio, main mainstream radio, but that's just what they hear and what they see, and so they kind of go with it, you know. All right. Well, you recently were in Nashville. I was my first time. And then, of course, <laughs> you have experience here with Texas and Hill Country. What is some of the differences between music in Nashville and country, and then here, here at home, here in Austin? You know, surprisingly, I didn't know this before I went up there, but people quickly informed me and I very quickly felt that there are a lot of similarities uh, between Nashville and Austin. But I think one of the things that I noticed, and I will preface by saying, you know, my short time, you know, I spent less than a week there. So I don't want anyone from Nashville thinking I'm making judgment calls about their city. But I think based on my experiences Austin, people who are playing music in Austin, the vast majority of them are playing because they love music and they want to play. It doesn't really matter if they get paid that night. It doesn't really matter if there's two people in the crowd. They're playing because they want to. And, you know, they're not going to pass up that opportunity. And I think that um, is true for some people in Nashville, but I think that obviously there's a much more um, business behind it. I think that drives the music a little bit more than maybe the heart or the passion does. I think that there are some people uh, in Austin or in Nashville rather, who they're kind of in goals to make money and be successful. And if music helps get them there, then great. But I don't know if, if they would uh, act the same about music if they weren't like getting money out of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. I just think that in Austin, there's a lot more heart. Absolutely. And um, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, those people don't exist in Nashville. We got to hang out with um, some people. Our friends, uh, Kelsey and Kale, hosted a picking party for us, and it was awesome. It was it was incredible to be in a room with so many talented people and Almost every single person that I met was super sweet and everything, but it was kind of funny too because every once in a while you'd talk to someone and they'd be like, yeah, I just got out of this writing session with so-and-so and you know who that is? I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, you know, and I was definitely <laughs> jealous. Like I would love to, you know, write, have a writing session with someone. I don't care who, I'd do it. But, um... It's the thrill of writing. Yeah, but there's, there maybe there's a little bit more ego in Nashville. I think that's probably the main difference. But I felt very comfortable, very welcomed, very embraced. So my experience was truly better than I could have ever imagined. Well, so that kind of brings me to my next question because it sounds and kind of correct me if I'm wrong here that with Nashville that it's not just the music but it's also a job. Yes, I totally feel that way. Well, with you, you you already have a career. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so this is not time just consuming. a job, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you're you're right. I guess I didn't quite think of it that way. Um, playing music, writing music, performing has literally been a dream of mine since I was little. I have been singing with my hairbrush in front of the mirror to Dixie Chicks before, and 
you know, I used to even write songs when I was little, but I was so embarrassed to show them to my parents or anything. So they never really saw the light of day, but, um, I always enjoyed writing and wrote a lot of poetry and, and for whatever reason, I just kind of pushed it to the back burner. I think probably cause in high school and stuff, when I had the opportunity to play music, no one was in the country. And so I couldn't really, I don't know, I guess I could have done it on my own, but I just, I didn't. And I just pushed it to the back burner. And, um, I think probably Brian pulled a lot of it out of me, you know, two or three years ago and kind of revisited the whole writing thing. And, and I feel like it's the best decision I've made in a long time. And it's nice to have maybe the security and the comfort of a career that I love. You know, I, I'm a graphic designer during the day and I, I love it. Um, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love writing music and it's not, I don't necessarily have an end goal in mind, <laughs> at least not in the moment, but, um, I'm really enjoying this time and the writing process. And every time I get to go on stage, even if it's horrible, cause I've had those, but I'm, I just want to soak it all in. So <laughs> yeah, I was about to uh, talk and get back into a conversation about your debut record. That's under like a solo moniker, uh, but this album's filled with some great guests on there and people who are making up your band. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it could have been easily called that. I'm always curious, like, there's a lot of people who don't really go under like a solo moniker when they're performing around here. How do you just say like, uh, this is how I'm going to represent my music or was it even like... You know, I guess I didn't really give it that much thought and now I kind of feel bad, but, but I think, I mean, I mean, I, I wrote all these songs with the exception of one, which Brian wrote and I arranged most of them. And the ones that I didn't quite arrange, I, I had a melody, basically I have a really weird way of writing songs and I did and still do. I would write all the words and I would have this melody. Um, and before I knew how to play guitar, I, uh, I just didn't know how to put chords behind it. And so I would come to Brian and I would say, okay, here's what I got. And I'd sing it to him and he'd be able to put chords behind it. And then as I learned guitar, I was able to figure more out on my own. Um, but I kind of feel like I pretty much arranged the one, all the ones that I wrote. So I, I guess that's why I went with my name. Um, and they're your songs, you know, yeah. in the end it's, it's, it's Catherine's words, it's Catherine's feelings, it's her experiences, you know, and that is enough to say, hey, this is my record. You yeah, know? but I'm, you know, in saying that, I am, uh, was and am still overwhelmed by the support by everyone, especially everyone who played on my record, because it would not sound as good if it weren't for every single person involved in it. So. Uh, would you mind uh, rattling off some names of the guests yeah, on your yeah. name dropping? Sure, yeah. let's name, name drop. drop. Let's name drop. Well, uh, I gotta well, be first. Right? Brian Broussard. <laughs> uh, he helped me arrange some of them, and then obviously was a guitar master on it. Not yet. I'm, I'm aiming. <laughs> I'm aiming for master. Um, Taylor Englert, who's also in my and Broussard, played drums on the entire record, and I thought he killed it. Brennan Lee played mandolin on Fading Like the Years. Uh, Selena Rosenbaum of Rosie and the Ramblers, she sang harmonies with me on Old Soul. Uh, Zach Moulton, I'm, oh, I feel bad. I probably just butchered his name. Um, <laughs> he played pedal steel on, I think, eight songs, and he 
oh my gosh, just watching him play in the studio sometimes it brought me to tears. He was one of the so best. Good. He was definitely one of the best in the studio. Just performed <clears throat> with professionalism. Went in there. Each song maybe took him, yeah, you know, thirty minutes or so. Once he got comfortable with it, he had it, and you knew he had it. And I was like, whenever he nailed it, I would, I'd be jumping out of the chair. <laughs> like you'd see on like these people like in the studio behind the scenes. Like I was just so thrilled that he would nail these parts, and he kind of brought everything we wanted as far as the the pedal steel goes. Yeah. Oh, he also yeah. played dobro on it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this slide work that's going on in this record is amazing. It's just really brought it together. Yeah, and then Bennett Brown, he actually uh, is playing in Shane Smith and the Saints, and they're blowing up right now. Um, He played fiddle on it. Jason, Jason Richard. Jason Richard helped play bass on at least half of the songs. Yeah, and he uh, co-produced it with us. Yeah, as well. He's uh, he plays bass for Rocky Erickson. Yeah, but he he actually owns the recording studio and in, was our engineer too. Um, he had so many uh, roles in the making of this record. And again, it would just not be the same without him or everyone else who I was hope involved. hope we're not leaving anybody out. Just so <laughs> grateful that they, you know, supported me in making this and then, you know, that they were just a part of it at all. So, Well, they're not the only ones that were supporting you on this, right? Well, not the only ones, but I mean... Didn't you do a Kickstarter? I did do a Kickstarter, yes, I did. And I had a lot of support from that, which was really, again, overwhelming. I feel like I'm probably going to use that word a lot. Overwhelming? <laughs> yeah. How, how, many, how much contribution came from people you didn't know? Uh, not that much. <laughs> but did I think that's did... probably better because, right. you know, the fact that I could... Um, thank people in person or at least know them. And because one of the things I did, every single person who um, donated, I wrote them handwritten thank you notes. And I, it's better than saying just a blind, oh, thanks. I don't know who you are. Email them. You know, I, I could at least, I at least knew them or their background and could give them something more personal, which they deserve. Why did you go Kickstarter? Why, why, why that round? Oh, cause I'm poor. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm, you know, I, I did put away a lot of money, at least a thousand dollars to dedicate specifically to this record, but I knew that it would be at least a year or two, um, of saving money before I could really dive into making a record and, and do it in a meaningful way. And so I'd seen a lot of people on Kickstarter. Um, I have, I had contributed to people and now after the fact, now that I have had a successful Kickstarter campaign, I try to, you know, donate to people who, um, either I know or I support what they're doing because, you know, I've been there, but, uh, I definitely needed help. And so I, went the route of the Kickstarter because, you know, if you don't, it's kind of easy. You don't really lose anything if you, if it doesn't succeed. So I kind of figured it was worth it. And, um, and it ended up, uh, being a successful Kickstarter and I was just over the moon. (laughs) That's great. And see what I like about this is a a generation ago where there wasn't a Kickstarter, would you have made a record? That's a good question. Um, I want to say that it m- was probably harder a generation ago to make a record. So I don't, I don't know. I there definitely would have been a desire if I was the same person now. Then, then the d- desire would definitely be there. So I can at least say that. But um, 
I don't know. It might have been cheaper, too, then. So you never know. Okay, so uh, watch YouTube videos, as I often do. I like to uh, see like the steps that people take when they're presenting themselves to like a, a public audience. And um, it's interesting that you write the songs on guitar first, because mostly uh, uh, you, you choose not to play an instrument live. And I think that's like a really cool presence to have. Was that a deliberate decision at all, or...? Like a deliberate decision not to play live, right? Was that um, was that a decision about like the presence that you wanted to put out there, or was it just easier? It's a very deliberate decision. It's because I'm not that good at guitar, so I mean, I know enough to like get around and you know put chords behind songs and figure stuff out. Um, but I don't. I just don't think I'm good enough to play live. I'm working on it because I would love to have a guitar on stage. It's you know I'd be lying. If I said it wasn't sometimes a little bit awkward just standing up there, I feel like Ricky Bobby and I don't know what to do with my hands. But, um, but uh, you know, I just I do a lot of hip swing, I notice, and I don't think about that. And I'll see, you know, either pictures or videos, even like on Instagram, I'm like, oh, God, I look like an idiot. But, I, you know, whatever. I'm I'm enjoying it. So I guess that's good. But, yeah, very deliberate. I just am not that good yet. <laughs> So I know they have jazz fingers. They don't have country hands. <laughs> I guess not. I don't know. Maybe it's. I don't know. Pew, None pew. of y'all can see that. Yeah, it's like those, those finger guns, pistol finger pistols. Yeah, pistol. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would really change the atmosphere of your shows. Definitely. I feel like we were just doing like pistol hands the entire time to like these like uh, ballads. <laughs> every once, every once in a while, I try to like like I'll do like a Loretta Lynn cover, and I try to go like point at me and and then there's I don't know I try to work little things in every now and then but then I feel like when I do I think about it too much and I just end up looking like an idiot and it looks not natural so I just kind of just sway and I hit my like my sides a lot I like try to I don't know I just don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> you, you have a tambourine <laughs> no I need to get one <laughs> That would be a good investment. But then I might just go like crazy Stevie Nicks on everyone. Just start like. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll anyone start wearing can like crazy. shawls. <laughs> oh, goodness. No, I won't do that. But yeah, I, I, need, a, I need to get a tambourine, invest in one. <laughs> I'm glad that we have both of you here because I want to talk about the song I Ain't Through Loving You. Mm, that's a good one. A great duet on the record. Which you're also gonna play, right? Oh yeah, yeah. we'll do that. Excellent. It's uh, a good picking team. <laughs>
It's the same old thing My last one used to do But I ain't through loving Oh, I ain't through loving I ain't through loving you, no Um, why don't you let the audience at home know your relationship to each other? Well, he's my boyfriend. She's my boyfriend, too. I'm Our his girlfriend. girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> She's yes. my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. We it, it really works out because, obviously, I mean, you know, we're dating and we live together, so we get to come home and... We get, I'm already picking on the guitar, and she comes home singing a, a melody, and, and that's how the, these songs really came together. And I Ain't Through Loving You was, I always just kind of pictured uh, just like sitting on a back porch, you know, out in the country, picking my guitar, like, you know, like you mentioned, do you, are you always fiddling on that thing? And mm-hmm. I, I am, in fact, and I'm always picking around, and I wanted just a good kind of toe-tapping picking song and and that's actually one of the songs that I wrote for the record or the one one and only song <laughs> I wrote for the record. Well, it's also like a very optimistic idea about love which uh most classic country doesn't have, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It's originally the complete opposite, so mm-hmm. it's always nice to hear. Yeah. Right? I I mean that just kind of goes I think um Brian and I both um, we believe in honesty and try to be honest people ourselves. And so when we, I think it comes out when we write, but I know for me, it's special because obviously we have the same interests. It's, it's very encouraging. And I think it goes both ways. Um, cause he has his own band. And then when it's me, he's very encouraging of me, but I just think it's really special to be able to share something like creating music with your significant other. It just... It can be stressful sometimes. Oh, too. yeah. We've, total, <laughs> we've totally gotten in arguments over stuff. And, and it's just stupid. I'm just like, but, look, I'm just, let's just put this thing down and watch some TV. Yeah, yeah. We just need, yeah, sometimes that's what we... But it's been... Really looking back on all of our experiences together where music is involved, we just have so many great memories and, and that's personally just very special to me yeah in the studio you know when you're in the studio it's especially when the whole band has like the way they want a song to sound or the producer has his his way of wanting it to sound um Catherine and i we worked together to produce this record along with jason and uh it, it was crazy how smooth everything went in the studio you'll get you know like i said everybody has their own ideas and and uh we never once disagreed we were like in the end it was all up to Catherine what she wanted for the record and we all understood that but when we when we nailed something or we wanted it to go in this direction we all agreed that we wanted it that way and we never once di- had to disagree in the studio so that made things very painless you know yeah we had a very different relationship in the studio it was very professional but i'm i'm i don't really know what i expected yeah. Going into the studio as a couple, but it was it could great. have gotten bad, but it went it went well. Yeah. I mean, I say that, but you know, it, it, we just worked really well together and professionally, which I wasn't sure how it was gonna you know work out. Same with same with the uh, Tate, you know, and Maya and Broussard. I it was both our you know first like big record that we were gonna be doing and. Um, we, we've all just worked really well together, and I think we're really lucky and, and fortunate that that all happened, that that all came together like that, you know. It's meant to be. 
You say that you feel that sometimes you were born in the wrong time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. I feel like I would have really loved being alive in the 60s and 70s. And I think that's where the 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 record, that's why it's called Old Soul. You yeah. know? I, obviously, that is why. But it's not only the music. I mean, uh, she'll agree with me on this. We... We kind of just prefer a little slower way of living, you know. And just we, bo- we both come from small towns, and and like m- me personally, which is kind of what um, Old Soul is about. I was raised with very traditional values, very religious background, and stuff. You know, even as I have uh, grown and evolved as a person over time, that stuff doesn't leave me. There are traits, and there are characteristics and interests and whatnot that are found in people who are much older than me. But then I guess, I mean, I have a hard time saying that now because I don't want to live too much in the past. You know, there's a reason I was born now. So maybe it's to bring this music Revive. back. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny we say that and we live in the city and we all work in the city. Uh, yeah, I, know, <laughs> so, I know, But maybe that's why we yearn for that. You know, it's because... Austin isn't a huge city, but it's definitely a lot more fast-paced than what I'm used to. And I could... I, I, I sometimes just have to take a step back away from it and I have to get back out to the country, sit around a fire, drink whiskey, smoke a little, pick a little, and that's really what I prefer, you know. Smoke cigarettes, that is. No, I'm just... <laughs> yeah. Cigars. Yeah. Uh, where can the people at home get your record? At home, you said? Right, the people who are listening. Oh, Oh, I'm like at home. <laughs> Back in the Lotus, no. Um, in their car, uh, well, driving to the in, store. In Austin, um, you can get it at Waterloo Records and Tones Records. Amazon. And, well, yeah, you can get it like on Amazon, CD Baby, iTunes. Spotify. You can listen to it on Spotify. I totally don't care. You don't have to buy it, but if you like it. You get paid for that. Totally buy it. Well, yeah, you get paid <laughs> like a penny. Bandcamp, you can purchase it there digitally or... Um, a physical copy and at Superflies in San Marcos. Or just email used her. used to be Sundance. <laughs> yeah, nine <laughs> times out of ten, you can email me and I'll send you one because for free because I just want people to have it and listen to it and like it. It's more, val- that's more, <laughs> it's more valuable, you know. I, I, it's more, it just means more to us than to make five bucks. Yeah, my goal is not to make than, money than just to, it, it means more <laughs> to, to kind of give the record out. You know, I, yeah. you know, it, if we do well at a show, some sometimes, and, you know, I'll I'll just go around and I'll grab a stack of CDs and and hand them out because it's just more important for for me to get our music out than it is to make and you know you a like couple it, bucks for you it. Can tip me or buy me a beer, I'll take it. <laughs> there you go. Do you have any material for us that may be either recently finished or? Uh, not that we've deemed cracked, worthy. Like, I definitely am sitting on a good chunk of songs, but we just. Not to the point where we can like play them yet. Sorry, everyone at home. <laughs> All right, so this is another one that was requested, but I have a pretty cool story about it. So we just went to Nashville, and on our way driving up there, we found out that um, friends and even better musicians, Brennan Lee and Noel McKay, were going to play at Station Inn. So we go and see them. They're incredible. And in walks in Guy Clark and sits 10 feet from me. And I just freaked out completely. And my brain exploded. And I don't know how I sat there. But um, I didn't 
want to say anything to him or anything all night and just kind of enjoyed the show. But I saw him get up to leave and I was like, oh, I, I got to say something to him. If I don't say something, I will totally regret it. So I just went up to him and I go, uh, Mr. Clark, <laughs> uh, um, I just want to say you're a really big inspiration to me and a huge influence on me. And I hope you have a great rest of your night. <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, 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 what's your name? And I was like, oh, it's Catherine Legender. And he shakes my hand and I was like, oh, I'm shaking her like hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> it sounded like a huge fangirl, but I was really nervous at the time. And he was like, oh, well, thank you, Catherine. And turned and left. And I was like, okay. Mr. Clark. So I seriously <laughs> never thought that that was seriously a once in a lifetime thing. And I always say, you know, when I introduce this song, I'm like, well, if I ever have a chance to meet Gary Clark, then hopefully I can play this for him. Didn't know. There's no way that was happening. But no, <clears> too much pressure. But it was amazing to even shake his hand. So this is a song I wrote after seeing him play in Austin a couple years ago.
strings Maybe being so close Some of that stuff could eventually rub off on me Won't you sing me a song tonight I won't mind if you forget the Brian. <laughs> I think I put the dogs to sleep. <laughs> hey, about time. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and I just kind of threw in those harmonies just for the hell of it. You know, that, I liked that it. It isn't on the recording, but sometimes you get the inspiration just to kind of do it. And yeah, I wrote that literally. I actually started writing it in the middle of his set, which is I just like really bad. But I was just While we were moved. Him, and I was like, put your phone Yeah, on. and I, but I had, I had these like lines popping up. I was like, I gotta write these down so I don't forget them. And, you know, I like to think that he would understand that as a songwriter. And I bet that is literally my entire experience of that show. Like everything was like, I mean, you could hear the air going on and off in the background. And there were some people there who were like hassling him. And it was bugging me, but they, they were like calling out songs for him to play. And, one of them he tried to do, and he just could not, you know, remember the words, which I don't blame him. Like, I don't know, but... One song he didn't even write. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a very, you know, intense moment for, or experience for me getting to see him, and so I just had to write a song. <laughs> you want to try picking up the pieces? <clears throat> yeah. This is my favorite off the record. It's the first song, <clears throat> and it's just such a fun, catchy... Uh, kind of modern, you know, country song. It's it's like like you were saying earlier. You know, how do you mix you know your traditional stuff with with today? And and I think this is a perfect example of how Catherine brings her like modern take on like country. This was actually the first song that I wrote completely on my own, words, melody, and chords. And Ryan came home and was like, I gotta show you something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was fun. It has a really catchy little fiddle lick to it. <clears throat> yeah. You'll have to buy the record <laughs> to hear it. <laughs> One, two, three. Bye. 
seemed to come round my door And when it got me out I went looking for more I know you don't want to hear the same old things But I'm getting it together up in Bowling Green I ain't done much in this whole life And when you found me, babe, I was another man's wife Well, I can't take back the things I've done Looking for new ways to run Just to find myself in the middle of the road Picking up the pieces that I just let go The, the middle. <laughs> the middle. Yeah. I'm, I was like ready to dance. That is one thing that I hope to get from this record. If it just makes people want to dance, oh, mission yeah. accomplished. Yeah. If you couldn't tell, I really look up to Brendan Lee. She's amazing, and she's like, she's been, you know, like a mentor to me also, and I really appreciate that. And um, so she has this song, and the line goes, uh, "These hills used to make." My eyes well up now. All I want to do is set them on fire. And I was like, oh, I like that. And so I wanted to write a song about why a woman would set hills on fire. So I kind of just went with this imagery, totally made it up, but I love it. And it was so much fun to write. And this is what happened. I like to say that it's like now my um, song about a woman scorn. It's like a all men should use it as a warning song. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Lately, she's been striking matches so she can feel the flame. But all she's got is a pile of ashes. No one calls her name. Her hands are cold and empty. There's a fire in her soul And tonight she'll let it all go up in smoke She's setting the hills on fire Lord, you best stay out her way Another man went and broke her heart And now there's hell 
burning ember somewhere in the wind. Mama, when you leave, and don't leave a thing behind. I don't want nothing. Oh, I can't use nothing. And take care into the hall. And if you see my friends, tell them I'm fine. I ain't using nothing. We like to do that live as little Towns fans in at the end. Yeah. He's a big inspiration on both of us, too. Yeah, that was kind of one thing I wanted to do when I could, when it made sense on the record, is like, I don't mind giving semi-obvious nods to my inspiration. So we, uh, I told Brian, I was like, put that riff in there at the end. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, the, kind of, you know, recycling that riff and, and kind of putting it in our own words. Yeah. But I mean, it, you know. Paint homage. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. I figured that was all right. <laughs> Hopefully it's not too cheesy. <laughs> Tarantino does it all the time. Oh, yeah. Right, absolutely. Right, if, yeah. if he doesn't. <laughs> awesome. Again, thank you for joining us on another episode of La Fire, co-hosted by both A.J. Henderson and Mark Goldsmith, produced by Sarah Herndon. As always, you can find us at LaFire.com, on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. I'm going to get drunk and make pizza when I get home. <laughs> yeah.